0: Well, welcome back again this week to Myths versus Facts. Just as the conspiratorial forces were at work in the North, the same condition beset the South. The forces that were involved included Young America and some of their offshoots, such as the Knights of the Golden Circle. Now, you can find all sorts of information concerning the Knights of the Golden Circle, which operated after the Civil War began. But prior to the Civil War, the history of the Knights is lacking. Very hard to come by. It is very interesting that the man who started the Knights of the Golden Circle, George Binkley, as well as William Lloyd Garrison, the abolitionist leader, belonged to the secret Brotherhood of the Union led by George Lepard, one of the top three leaders of the Rosicrucians. Lepard was an active socialist, and the Brotherhood of the Union reflected this goal. George Binkley had formed at least three circles of the Brotherhood of the Union before he started the Knights of the Golden Circle. Some histories say he did not, but he actually did. To have formed brotherhood circles under socialist leadership and suddenly switched to forming an entirely new organization, ostensibly opposed to the socialist agenda of the North, raises some interesting questions about Binkley's motivation. Keep in mind that the Knights of the Golden Circle and the Brotherhood of the Union were both secret societies. The Knights particularly had levels of degrees as other secret organizations, but it was not an organization where all were equal and many prominent men in the South joined some of them known to be involved in the carbonary and young America activities. In fact, John Wilkes Booth, the assassin of Lincoln became a member of the Knights of the golden circle and recruited others into their ranks prior to the civil war. The Knights proliferated too rapidly not to have been founded on an existing organization. An important clue is that the Knights had the same agenda as Young America, relative to the expansion of the United States into Latin America. One can assume that there was an authority above George Binkley because he was removed as its leader. It's exceedingly rare for someone who starts a secret society to be removed from leadership when that society extends as widely as the Knights did. This part of their history is elusive to document. Throughout the mid to late 1850s, the Knights worked to prepare the South for secession. While Knights formed militias in the South, socialist-led organizations did the same in the North. It was obvious that these, those behind these militias in the North and South were preparing for war long before the average citizen realized what was going on at least in the North. While the average citizen in the North knew a gulf was forming between the North and South, they were, by and large, ignorant of the purpose of the militias being formed among such organizations as the German Turner uh, Organization. At the very beginning of the Civil War, the Knights militias went into the Confederate forces immediately after Fort Sumter, just as did the German Turners into the Union Army in the North. You see, neither side of the two regions had an army. The army was to be composed of the state militias, and many of the states did not want to call their militias up to fight other states. Therefore, in the beginning of secession, both sides relied on these private militias and were formed out of conspiratorial organizations. Another organization that had ties to the Knights of the Golden Circle was the Ku Klux Klan. There's more than a little evidence that the Ku Klux Klan was formed after the war on what was left of the Knights of the Golden Circle. For instance, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, the head of the KKK, worked with the Knights of the Golden Circle during the war. The KKK used many of the secret codes and signs of the Golden Circle. Also, the KKK proliferated too fast for it not to be based on an existing organization. Many men who held socialist positions were members of the KKK, such as Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black. So to sum up the KKK, its leadership adopted many of the socialist programs. However, their overt goals were racist. Members of Skull and Bones worked both sides of secession, not just the North. For instance, William Berry of Skull and Bones presided over the Mississippi Secession Convention. John Perkins, Jr. of Skull and Bones, served as the chairman of the Louisiana Secession Convention. The idea of secession was not new. Jefferson uh, helped the Nicholas brothers in their plan for Kentucky secession, as we pointed out in earlier uh, segments of this series. New England leaders during the period of the War of 1812 plotted secession. Even the Northern leaders held a Hartford Convention Thinking about seceding from the South. Young America leaders in the South held a secession convention in January of 1850. It didn't go very far. We told you about some of the agitation in the North, but not all of it, that created a reaction in the South. This reaction was put to use by Young America and the Knights of the Golden Circle members to support secession among the people of the South by 1860. By 1858, for instance, sentiment for secession accelerated both in the South and the North. Many people in the North encouraged Southern secession up to the day the South began to secede, then flip-flopped and screamed foul and wanted to use the uh, force to keep them in the Union. Reaching out to one's arch enemy to dissolve the Union in the name of slavery would not uh, seem to be what the abolitionists would do. By so doing, if successful, they would have dissolved the Union, but slavery would have kept going. If the abolition of slavery was the goal, then why reach out in this manner when the end result would not have been the elimination of slavery, but the dissolution of the United States? Logically, the goal had to be secession to get the war going. For instance, in December 1859, the abolitionists in New York adopted this resolution. Resolved that we invite a free correspondence with the disillusionists of the South to secure the dissolution of the present imperfect and inglorious union between the free and slave states. This was not an unusual occurrence and many Northern abolitionist leaders gave speeches encouraging disunion. Now for someone who thinks logically, this does not make sense on the surface, but it made perfect sense if the idea was to get a war started. There were concerned citizens and political movements that wanted to find a means to stop this juggernaut. In 1861, for instance, the New York Democratic Party called for a convention to be held January 3rd, uh, 31st excuse me, in Albany. In its call, the Democratic Central Committee stated this, In this emergency, conservative men of all classes call upon our time-honored party which at this moment represents the views and feelings of a majority of the people of New York, to cooperate with patriotic citizens elsewhere, and especially with the efforts of the border states in putting down the agitations and conspiracies of the secessionists of the South and ultra-Republicans of the North. Note that they said conspiracies on both sides. Again, conspiracy was not a theory among early Americans. They understood that it was a natural byproduct in politics. Conspiracies always exist in politics, period. Next week we'll take a look at the North, relative to the agitation to get the South to secede, and then flipped to oppose secession and agitate for war. Today the South is blamed for the Civil War, but there was blame enough all around. Until next week.